The following is part five of a five-part series at Ascension titled Transformed. In this episode, we look at how the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms conflict and reconciliation in profound ways. The parts of the Bible we're especially considering are Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, and 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. Have you ever noticed, reflected on how wired most people are to win and how it shows up in nearly every arena of life? I mean, clearly it shows up in the literal arenas of life. You see me look down and look at Stephanie. She, she's on stole patrol today. Tell me if my stole goes wonky like this. Okay, so back to the sermon. Uh, it, it literally, in the literal arenas of life, we are all very competitive. We like to win. So whether it's um, we're on the playing field or we're on the sidelines cheering or we're managing a fantasy team. Does anyone do fantasy football, fantasy anything? If Jake were here, he'd be raising his hand. Um, that we want to win. We want the standings to show us on top. We want the judges to score us the best. Of course, it's not limited to just the playing field, right? Um, we interview for a job, and we hope to be the one selected. We try out for the musical, anyone? Musical? Hoping to get the lead? We strive to be the valedictorian working hard at school. We play Mario Kart hoping that we will at last defeat Toad and take first place. We debate our ideas on social issues and political issues, all to show that our viewpoint is right. We are wired to win in life. And so that means that the person standing in the way of our victory becomes our opponent, whom we must defeat. All the world's a stage, and we are the players, according to Shakespeare. Maybe it's more accurate that all the world's a competition and we're the competitors. We're wired to win. So what does that mean when it comes to our relationships then? As Christians, the Bible shows us Christian relationships that are very different from the competitive and conflict-oriented view we just talked about. And it's easy to see this because you just look through Scripture and all the ways it talks about unity and peace be, make it apparent. So, for instance, in the, in the Old Testament, we heard, from, um, we heard about David before. David, one of the uh, kings of Israel, also wrote many of the Psalms, and he wrote how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Psalm 133. Jesus, uh, on the night he's betrayed, he prays to his heavenly Father that they may be one, they may be brought to complete unity. And the they is, he's talking about us, believers. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Scripture envisions and encourages this view of Christian relationships that, it, that is, is characterized by genuine unity and peace and other-oriented love. The problem with all that is how we're wired. Because we're wired for more than just competition. We're wired for more than just desiring to win. We're wired, really, for conflict. You could even say, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say we're wired for war with each other. 
And if you need that point proved to you, just look back at the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 and hear what Scripture says about the world of Noah at the time of the flood. Because there, the humanity that existed at that time had leaned into their sinfulness to such a degree that God had to step in and put an end to it. That was the flood. And so uh, Moses writes in, in Genesis 6, he says, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And then a few verses later, God says to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. It was violence, sinful conflict that characterized the world of Noah at the time of the flood because people are wired for conflict and they're wired for war. So maybe it's no surprise, too, that when Jesus talks about conflict, in that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, he addresses conflict not one time, not two times, not three times, but at least four unique times in those three chapters. So, for instance, Jesus says, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He's warning against anger there. A few verses later, Jesus warns against retribution. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Jesus calls his disciples to love more than just the people who love you and are good to you. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are just all examples of how the Lord addresses conflict by teaching his disciples what our attitude toward others should be like as disciples of Christ. Merciful, not wrathful. Patient, not vengeful. Loving, not hateful. But what's kind of unique about the gospel today that we heard is how Jesus addresses conflict by talking not about so much what our attitude toward others should be, but what our attitude toward ourselves should be. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? You've heard of spin before, right? Like, the kind of spin like if a, if a political um, candidate loses a race, his or her party might spin the results to make it seem like it's not that big a deal or maybe this is somehow even an advantage for the party or some Hollywood hotshot gets in trouble with the law and he or she tries to spin it so that it's really now it's this opportunity for personal growth and transformation. They just you know, forget about what actually happened. Spin is taking objective facts and shaping the subjective interpretations of them in favor of the person who's doing the spinning. Jesus here is talking about a kind of spiritual spin. And it's common to us all, and it's part of the reason that we're always at conflict with each other in our old self. The Lord compares it to, uh, to someone who sees uh, a foreign object, a tiny foreign object in somebody's eye, and they focus on it, and they notice it, they're quick to call it out, and they're quick to warn the other person about it. All the while, they have this giant two-by-four sticking out of their head, much more than a mere nuisance in their eye. It's destroying their entire vision. 
And of course, it's, it's hyperbole. It's this over-the-top illustration to make a point. But it works, doesn't it? It illustrates Jesus' point, doesn't it? That we are wired in our fallen natures to focus on the wrongdoing of others while remaining rather uncritical of ourselves. We tend to judge and assess the spiritual playing field in our favor. We tend to tear others down because we're trying to justify ourselves. And Jesus is warning in these six verses of Matthew against that kind of self-righteous, sinful judgment. So now think about what that means in terms of conflict with one another. When we are in conflict with one another as Christians, consider what this attitude does. Not only, my friends, are we wired then to be in attack mode. We, we know that that's true. Not only are we wired to always be picking out the errors of the other person and trying to convict them of their sin, But Jesus' words, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your your own eye? It It reveals that we're also disinclined to look honestly at ourselves and our own sin, our own error. The own, our own harm that we bring into a situation when we are in conflict with another. What should be the most obvious of sin to us, our own, this giant two-by-four in our face, we tend to miss, especially when we're viewing that other person as an obstacle and an opponent. In his book, uh, a, a Christian, oh, excuse me, a heart at peace, not a Christian at peace, although that could work too, a heart at peace, author and pastor Kenneth Kramer puts it this way. He says, you don't have to be a journalist to operate a spin machine. We are all predisposed by sin to a version of the truth that is constantly undergoing revision. Just let that sink in for a second. We're predisposed, all of us, to a version of the truth that is constantly undergoing revision in our favor. Revision to protect us Revision, to justify ourselves and condemn another, especially when we are at odds with another. I don't think any of us has to look too far to find examples of this in our lives. Maybe very recently, like this past week or this past month, an argument or a conflict at home. Maybe something right this moment, right now, a conflict that is boiling and ready to come to a head. Or maybe in this very moment, as we talk about hearts that fail to see their own sin, your mind is thinking too about the other in your conflict. Well, they better be listening up right now. And if that's the case, you are proving Jesus' point even as he calls you to repentance for it. The bottom line is this, friends. The primary issue in conflict, it's not the other. It's me. 
The primary issue and conflict when two sinners tangle is not the other person, but it's my own missteps that should occupy my heart the most. Which leads us to a very important conclusion today, and I hope a transformative truth for you to take home with you. When it comes to reconciliation, it doesn't begin with the other. It begins with me. And the Apostle Paul shows us why that's true in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This passionate proclamation about God's reconciliation in Christ. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Paul's talking about being compelled to carry out what he later calls the ministry of reconciliation. Paul is compelled to carry it out because he's become convinced of something in his heart. He's become convinced that there is a problem with conflict in his life. Conflict with other people, yes, but above all, conflict with God. Because the Lord Jesus in mercy, showed Paul the two-by-four, the spiritual timber that he couldn't see himself. In mercy, the Lord Jesus showed Paul his own desperate need for reconciliation with God. Paul used to be this Pharisee of Pharisees who was quick to condemn others, and the Lord in his mercy showed him the condemnation he earned himself. He became convinced of conflict and the trouble that it was in his life and in love unimaginable. Love for this this Paul who would twist and spin even scripture to defend himself. Jesus showed him a reconciliation with God that was complete in him. Jesus showed Paul a reconciliation in this, in these words that you heard. Because one died for all, all died. Because one died for Paul, Paul died. That is the, we talk about judgment, right, and and condemnation and how we lump it out on, on other people so easily and quickly. Well, you know what? God justly judges us. And Paul had earned just condemnation and correct judgment. And yet all of that had played out. All of it had been carried out, but not on him, on Jesus. And because that was true, God counted Jesus' death to Paul's very own. So what about you and me? Spiritual spin doctors that we are especially when we're in conflict with others. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. My friends, reconciliation in your life, in your relationships, begins with you because God has accomplished your reconciliation in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, that Jesus Christ has died and in his death he took with him all of your spiritual two-by-fours and planks that you have not seen, nailed to his cross, and they went to the grave with him. 
Just as for Paul, God's just judgment and correct condemnation has been carried out, but not on you, on Jesus. So that now God counts Christ's death your very own. Friends, God has reconciled you to himself in Jesus Christ. So see your sin clearly. Stop spinning it. Embrace what God has told you today through the Apostle Paul, the reality of your forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and be reconciled to God. And reconciled to God, then let that transform your relationships with each other, especially with your other that you may be in conflict with. Reconciliation with others begins with me, first and foremost, because God has accomplished my need for reconciliation with him and Jesus Christ. That's the primary, primary reason. But it also begins with me and my heart for another reason. Because my reconciliation with God now transforms how I look at other people, just like we talked about in the kids' message. The Apostle Paul learned this. The Apostle Paul was compelled to preach the gospel because he was convinced that it was not just for him, but for others too. The Apostle Paul proclaimed the forgiveness of God in Jesus. He, he implored people to believe it, to trust in that with repentant hearts. He wanted people to know this forgiveness that he had come to know. In time, Paul began to see people no longer as obstacles to be overcome, but as those whom God had paid such a dear price to save. His view was transformed. This is true for you and me also in our reconciliation with God. Our personal reconciliation with God and Christ transforms the way that we look at everyone, especially one another, and especially when we're in conflict with one another. I don't think I could overstate how important and significant a change this is for Christians. We could talk a lot longer about it, but I'm going to leave you with three what I hope are concrete and practical ways for you to go home today and to see how your relationship with others that you have been in conflict with, especially Christians you may be in conflict with, is transformed and changed through your reconciliation with God. First, I'm going to make sure I say these properly so that you can fill in the blanks if you so desire on page 10 of the service folder. Becca lets me know if I mess it up I want to make sure it's clear so everyone knows if you want to follow along. So first, reconciled to God in Christ as we are. We now seek to understand our sin against the other. So the other here being that person we have been in conflict with. Paul says in our verses, in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are new. The old is gone, the new is here. And that is absolutely true. Amen and amen. The problem is, is that the old still takes along for the ride of life. 
And it still shows up, and it still tends to make us dismiss and demean and set aside and minimize the ways in which we hurt others. And so if we ever want to see ourselves clearly, if we ever want to take our eyes off of where they naturally fall in conflict, because where do your eyes naturally fall in conflict? Not on you, on the other and you want to see yourself honestly and truly, then we need to seek to understand, which means we need to listen. We need to open our hearts and have them opened to what we may have become blind to, to the way our sin may have harmed another. This is part of reconciliation, actively seeking to know the way in which I may have sinned against another. And that author I mentioned before, Kramer, he talks about such listening and reconciliation. He talks about it in the context of ministry. He talks about it as being ministering to one another. He says, the main point of listening is to learn what the speaker needs, that's the other, and how we can minister to those needs. Talk about a transformed approach to conflict, right? Listening, active and engaged listening gives us definitive clues to how we can do a better job serving others. Listening. As long as we're sinners in this world, we're going to need to do that with our old self tagging along for the ride. Reconciled to God, we seek to understand now how our sin affects others. Point number two. Reconciled to God in Christ we acknowledge our sin to the other. That author Kramer makes a very appropriate point that hits home for me. One of the most difficult things you or I will ever face in life is admitting our own sins. That is especially true if our transgressions have been defined in specific terms. And then he gives an example. Admitting that we have hated another person is a particularly hard thing to do. The words, I'm sorry, are the two most difficult words to say in any language. And I think, if you're anything like me, you know how difficult that can be and that these words ring true. And yet this is exactly what we're called to now as new creations in Christ openly acknowledging our sin against another and seeking their forgiveness is an essential part of reconciliation. This is why Jesus said to his disciples, go and be reconciled to your brother that you've sinned against. Go and be reconciled. Take action. Go and see them and seek in so many words their forgiveness, confessing your own sin and seeking their word that you have been forgiven. This is part of our transformed life as Christians that now, because we have been reconciled to God, we can do this, we're set free to do this, to admit to our own failings and to seek forgiveness from those we've sinned against. Which brings us to point number three. Reconciled to God in Christ we now together find reconciliation with each other at the cross of Christ. Because it's there at the cross of Christ 
we see what God has done for us. And we can use that word, the cross of Christ. You know, it can almost become cliche at the cross of Christ. Based on what Paul said today, understand what it means. At the cross of Christ is where we died. At the cross of Christ is where my sin against another and where their sin against me was placed. Where I died with Christ and my sins were buried with Christ just as the others were. It's at the cross of Christ that I became new just as my other did, even though we continue to struggle with the old. The point is, friends, when we are at the cross of Christ, our redemption with God in Christ cannot help but overflow to our relationships with one another, redeemed, reconciled in Christ. We find reconciliation with each other at his cross, which is good, because conflict is still going to happen in this world also among us as Christians because that old self continues to tag along. But the gospel truly transforms not just our approach to conflict, but our approach to reconciliation. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see the other. My friends, see yourself and your other through your shared reconciliation with Jesus I pray this can be true for you in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Ascension. If you'd like to talk with Pastor Ben or just learn more about our ministry, check out our website at ascensionharrisburg.com.